My Bible has also disappeared from the pulpit, so that's okay. The good news is it's, it's the same no matter what cover it's inside of. So if you would like, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. There are very few religious practices, especially in Western culture, that still make the world go round. And one of those, certainly the standout, is Christmas. Even today, our annual calendar really hinges around the Christmas holiday. Our school calendar, the annual calendar comes to an end basically at Christmas and then we have a new year just following. The fate of our economy basically hangs on the success or failure of the Christmas season every year. All of this hinging on a single day, December 25th. What if the fate of the world really did hinge on one event? I bet you can probably think of at least one or two events in history where you think if that didn't happen or if that swung the other way, things would be very different now. The split of the church in 1054 into the Catholic and Orthodox churches. The world was never the same. Columbus's voyage across the Atlantic Ocean, 1492, that doesn't happen. And the world looks very different now. The invention of the airplane, 1903, changed transportation, commerce, in ways that could never be unchanged. The invasion of the beaches of Normandy, that one day swings one way or the other, and the European continent might look very different today than it does. Well, in the 4th century, Richie, you can remember that far back, right? 4th yeah. century, we have one of these hinge points. And the church itself, it seemed to be hanging on one little man. A man nicknamed the Black Dwarf. In fact, the epitaph on his grave was three Latin words. Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the world. Athanasius grew up in an Egyptian city called Alexandria. And from the ages of 5 to 11, the city was filled with intense persecution. Christians were just being put to death by the dozens by Roman emperors Diocletian and Maximin. And as a boy, this is the Christianity that he witnessed. Church members, friends, fellow Christians being killed for the faith. As a young deacon, perhaps 27 years old, he attended the first sort of global council of the gathering of all the bishops from across the Roman Empire and the Roman world in 325, the Council of Nicaea, which the result of which was the Nicene Creed, which we heard already this morning. 
It was assembled by Emperor Constantine I. Three years later, Athanasius was actually ordained the archbishop of his city, Alexandria. What happened was at this council, the bishops were commissioned to get together and to deal with these teachings that were being spread by actually a fellow bishop from the same city of Alexandria by the name of Arius. Arius was going around and teaching in the church about the Son of God that, quote, there was a time when he was not. Essentially, Jesus was a created being. This is being taught in the church. And, and this idea that Jesus was a created being and then God sort of bestowed upon him divine status, almost like you would think of a Greek demigod. This is almost like something out of Greek mythology. And so at this council, the job of all the gathered bishops was we need to iron out what do we actually believe about the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. What do we believe? And you may have heard it at the bottom of the creed. What do we not believe? So let me read to you this portion once more. We believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial, that is, sharing substance with the Father. And then at the bottom it says, but those who say there was a time when he was not, as in he didn't exist, or who might say he was not before he was made, or he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance or essence, or the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable, all things that Arius was teaching, these people are condemned by the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. Out of the 318 bishops who were in attendance, only three of them refused to sign. Arius and two of his friends. And they were promptly kicked out of the church. <laughs> uh, here's a Christmas connection for you. There was also a man in attendance at this council by the name of Nicholas of Murrah, a.k.a. St. Nicholas. According to legend, this is just legend. According to legend, St. Nicholas actually punched this Arius in the face. <laughs> Needless to say, he must have been on the naughty list for life. Arius. Nevertheless, in one of the most bizarre turn of events, so they, they spend all this time crafting this creed, making sure, okay, the whole church and all the world is in agreement here. Guess what began to spread like wildfire immediately after Arius was kicked out of the church? Arianism. Just 10 years later, Arius and his followers were reinstated as faithful members of the Church of Christ. And as the global church was being swept up in this heresy, there was one man who insisted on stemming the tides, standing as a pillar for the truth. The man Athanasius. Christopher Check explains, when the whole world groaned and was amazed to find itself Arian, as St. Jerome put it, 
God raised up one man to grasp and hold high the banner of orthodoxy. So as we talk about Athanasius here, we're not talking about a man who's a pioneer. We're talking about a man who's saying, listen, guys, this is what we agreed to. Where have you guys gone? I'm the one standing here. You're the one who left. His whole ministry was about standing on the truth. He was exiled over 40 years, five different times from his seat in the church in Alexandria, several of those exiles lasting for many years, three to seven years at a time. Frequently falsely accused, which I hope we'll have some time to spend uh, learning about these various outlandish accusations that were leveled against him by his opponents, maligned by other Arian bishops, persecuted by four different Roman empires, hauled before councils. Nevertheless, Athanasius was vindicated time and again. Finally, in 366, he was allowed to return and finish his ministry. And guess what he did? He just picked up where he had been preaching when they ran him out of town. And he continued his ministry like nothing had happened. Seeking to repair the damage that had been done to all the churches. Until the day he passed away, May 2nd, 373. It is not an overstatement for us to say this morning that by the grace of God, the fate of the church hinges upon the humble courage of this man, Athanasius. Let's talk about this belief for a second called Arianism, the belief that the Son of God, that there was a time when he was not. As in, there was a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. In 2018, Ligonier Ministries performed their biannual annual national survey of the state of theology in America. In response to this statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Guess how many Christians responded that they agreed. Jesus Christ is the first and greatest created being of God. 78%. 78% of evangel professed evangelical Christians said they believed Jesus Christ was the first and greatest creature made by God. You may think that was a fluke. Two years later, they asked the exact same question this year. 56% agreed. And only 26% strongly disagreed. So Arianism is alive and well this Christmas season, not just among Jehovah's Witnesses or among Unitarians, apparently even among our evangelical Christian churches. There was a time when he was not. There's a desperate need for us this Advent season to recover the meaning of Christmas. And I don't mean the meaning of Christmas in some kind of smarmy Hallmark movie kind of way. What do we mean when we say the word became flesh? Good news is we have some help. Enter on the Incarnation. A book small, but mighty. Much like the man 
whose name is on the cover, Athanasius, small but mighty, kind of like me, well, at least the small part. And the truth of it is, this book was actually written before this whole Arian mess blew up in the church. How providential of God. 13, uh, 318 was about when Athanasius wrote this. He was 21 or 22. Zan, how old are you? 19. 19. You've got two years. And then I'm expecting a theological masterpiece that will be treasured for 1,600 years following. Okay. C.S. Lewis writes, it is a good rule after reading a new book never to allow yourself another new one till you've read an old one in between. I, I'm not sure how many of us spend time reading books, but probably spend a lot of time reading articles and things on our phones, all written by contemporaries. How many of us spend time taking up something that's 1,600 years old? We may be sure that the characteristic blindness of the 20th century, we might say the 21st century today, the blindness about which posterity will ask, but how could they have thought that? Lies where we have never suspected it. Well, how do we address that? The only palliative is to keep the clean sea breeze of the centuries blowing through our minds, and this can be done by reading old books. Not, of course, that there is any magic about the past. People are no cleverer then than they are now. They made mistakes just like we do, just not the same mistakes. In Athanasius' day, he was fighting what he calls an unwillingness to recognize Jesus as God. Isn't that the same battle that we're fighting today in 2020? The unwillingness to recognize Jesus as God himself. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to move through chapter by chapter through this book as Athanasius guides us through what the church has always believed about Jesus, the Son of God. And so today we'll be looking at chapter one briefly, creation and the fall. As I preach this morning, I will be quoting liberally from this book, quoting liberally, not quoting liberals, okay? Um, meaning I'm going to quote widely, dipping in and out. So if you are curious, you want to know, what did Athanasius actually say? You ought to get the book and read it. Um, or I can give you my sermon manuscript after the service. You know, I have it all in quotes. You can see, oh, Pastor Chad's not that clever. Athanasius said that, okay? Just assume if it's clever or it's a good turn of phrase, he probably wrote it, not me, okay? So if you haven't already, go on the church website, download the ebook so you can catch up, and we'll be in chapter 2 next week. We do want to make sure, though, that our time is centered on the Word of God, and that's why I've had you turn to Romans chapter 5. And so, as great and amazing and illuminative are the words of St. Athanasius, only these words are perfect. And so we want to stand and give reverence to the Word of God this morning. We're going to read Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You may be seated. Romans 5.12 begins, Therefore, just as sin came into the world. If we want to learn about the Incarnation, we want to talk about how the Son of God became man. If we're going to discover the true meaning of Christmas, we must first realize, number one, that Christmas begins with the cosmos. What are we talking about when we talk about Christmas? We're talking about the Word, the eternal Son of God, who exists outside of time. And who exists outside of the heavens and the earth, this universe we live in. Choosing to enter the very cosmos that he created. Paul is taking for granted that we agree with him that the God who entered this world as a man is the very God who created this world. Now can we take that for granted today? No, we can't. And neither could Athanasius in his day. There were the Epicureans who believed the cosmos, about the cosmos, that all things are self-originated and, so to speak, haphazard. These deny that there is any mind behind the universe at all. The universe just spontaneously combusted into existence, the Epicureans said. Modern, enlightened, 21st century, sophisticated scientists and elites Love to look down on Christians because we believe a quaint thing that a God made the universe. And here we find in Athanasius' day, 1,600 years ago, people were already espousing a belief in the Big Bang Theory. So whose views are antiquated? <laughs> then there were the Platonists who said, well, there is a God, but he just made the universe out of pre-existing Plato. Matter was there always, and God just came and sort of fashioned it into the universe we live in. And then there were the Gnostics who actually invented for themselves 
a, an artificer, a, a crafter of all things other than the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there was this sort of rival God who came along and made the physical universe and is the source of all the evil in this world. But this is what Athanasius and Paul both take for granted about this cosmos, that Christians believe out of nothing and out of non-existence, absolute and utter God brought it into being through the word. This is straight from Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the worlds, that is time and space, that is the universe, that is the cosmos, were framed by the word of God. So that the things that we see now did not come into being out of things that had previously appeared. So the cosmos did not make itself accidentally. Nor was it made by some evil God. It was framed, Hebrews 11 tells us, and John 1 and Colossians 1, which we've already heard this morning, by the word himself. And he did not make this universe out of some pre-existing matter, like the Platonists would say in Athanasius' day. No, Jesus, the Son of God, fashioned the universe out of nothing. Before we can enter into dialogue with Athanasius, he says the first fact that you and I must grasp is this. The renewal of creation has been wrought by the selfsame word who made it in the beginning. There is no inconsistency between creation and salvation. For the one father has employed the same agent, the word, in making the world and in saving the world. Christmas begins with the cosmos and this vast universe filled with giant stars of burning matter and spinning planets. God bestowed special privilege on one race of creatures in the beginning on one creature in particular. And he placed him here on planet Earth upon men God bestowed a grace which other creatures lacked, namely the impress of his own image, a share in the reasonable being of the very word himself. God bestowed mankind. Adam and Eve were stamped with the image of God after the pattern of his son. God secured this grace then that he had given by making it conditional first upon two things, namely a law, and a place. He set them in his own paradise and he laid upon them a single prohibition. But our passage, Romans 5, tells us something important about this one named Adam, which God bestowed with so much divine grace. The man Adam was the hinge of the cosmos. Athanasius says he was placed in the garden. He was given a single prohibition. And whether Adam was faithful or unfaithful, obedient or disobedient, the entire cosmos was either going to rise or fall on the actions of this one man. We know the story. Paul doesn't have to rehearse the whole thing all over again for us in Romans 5. He says... Adam became the doorway 
of death. Through this one man, sin entered the cosmos. You may be wondering, why are we discussing the origin of men when we were set out to talk about the word becoming man? That is, talking about Christmas, right? That's what this holiday is all about. The former subject is relevant to the latter for this reason. It was our sorry case that caused the word to come down. Our transgression that called out his love for us so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It is we who were the cause of his taking human form. And for our salvation that in his great love he was both born and manifested in a human body. Why did Christmas happen? Because we had sinned. This brings us to the second point and the main point of Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. Christmas hinges on one man. It's really fun during the Christmas season to celebrate the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the gift giving and all of the different things that come with Christmas, the trees, the cookies, and everything else. But when you boil it down, Christmas hinges on one man. The coming of one man. I don't know whether you noticed it the first time we passed through, but that is the recurring refrain in this passage. The one, the one man, the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So this first man we're talking about is the man Adam. When Adam sinned, men began to die. And corruption ran riot and held sway over them. Because if you know the story in Genesis, it was the penalty for their sin that God had forewarned. You transgress this commandment and you will surely die. It just takes one man and he opens the door and lets sin and death into this universe. But it only takes one man to come and to shut that door and to open the gate to righteousness and life. Christmas hinges on one man. Verse 14. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So what Paul's setting up here is a comparison, or rather really a contrast. He's saying, in all the ways we see Adam, Jesus is basically the exact opposite. The one thing that's the same about them, they're both men. We see it in verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, five different contrasting statements about the one man, Adam, and then the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So this then was the plight of men. God had not only made them out of nothing, but had also bestowed graciously on them his own life by the grace of the word. And here's what happened. Then turning man from eternal things to corruptible things by the counsel of the devil, 
they had become the cause of their own corruption in death. Man corrupted himself. He turned away from the life-giving word of God to lesser things. But while one man's trespass was the doorway to death for many, through Jesus Christ, there's a free gift that abounds for many. Verse 16, our second contrast. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Athanasius explains the result of that one sin. Paul says, one sin. It took one sin to bring all this destruction into the world. The transgression of God's commandment was making mankind turn back again according to their nature. Where did we come from? What did God make us out of? Nothing. Man turns away from God, and slowly but surely, what do we return to? Nothing. Returning through corruption slowly to non-existence again. And yet, this, this is the result of one sin. And Paul says, now think about that times millions of sins. Billions of sins. How amazing must the free gift of the grace of Jesus be that it can overcome the power and the influence and the corrupting, corruption of many trespasses. His free gift still results in life. Our third contrast is verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we were meant to reign. But when Adam sinned, he abdicated the throne, he, he gave it over, and death came and sat on the throne. But Christmas hinges on one man, the man Jesus Christ, who through righteousness, enables us to sit back on that throne with him and reign over this universe in life once more. Our fourth contrast, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were removed from the presence of God. They, they could no longer be in the garden with God. To be removed as a mortal creature from the presence of the immortal God is to be given a death sentence. There is only one being who is immortal and to be cut off from him is to be condemned to die. How can immortal creatures live apart from the immortal word who made them? The answer is they cannot. That's the condemnation. But through Jesus Christ, Paul says, we are given justification, the right to once more stand in the presence of the eternal God. And there is where we find life. The fifth and final contrast is verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Before Christmas, 
Adulteries and thefts were everywhere. Murder, rapine filled the earth. Law was disregarded in corruption and injustice. All kinds of iniquities perpetrated by all, both singly and in common. But after the coming of that one man, justice and mercy are everywhere. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, angels and shepherds singing both singly and in common. And the world is filled with men and women who have been made righteous, living in the obedience of that one man. Christmas hinges on one man. So quickly and finally, as we conclude this morning, we have one last thing to glean from Paul's words. Christmas is the hinge between life and death. Paul describes the scene pre-Christmas, verse 14. Yet death reigned. Or verse 17, for because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Death is seated on the throne over all of this created world, doling out sin to all mankind, spreading its curse to the whole cosmos. But Christmas is the hinge between life and death. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, now things have swung the other way. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christmas is the hinge from death to life. I wonder this morning whether you have experienced that. Are you living in death or in life? The fate of the entire cosmos hinges on this truth. Has God become man? Christmas hinges on this one man. This truth that we believe that the God who made this world has broken into this world in order to save us. If he can't save us, no one can. Christmas is the hinge between life and death. Are you trusting in the Christ of Christmas this morning? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds as we seek to comprehend what little we can about you. We thank you that you have revealed to us the Father. We thank you that in you we can stand fully assured in the presence of God forevermore. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have granted us eternal life. We pray this Christmas that our thoughts, our actions would all hinge upon you. We thank you so much for the writings of Athanasius and the way you used him uh, by your steering hand to save your church from falling into great error. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as well in whatever way you see fit for the church of today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and respond to what we've heard singing number 22 in our folders, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.